Life is hard. Life with chronic, critical, and complex health concerns is even harder. We all know someone who is struggling with health issues or disability. It might even be you. And in the pain and suffering, we wonder if it's possible to move from surviving to thriving. We struggle to hope, struggle to persevere, struggle to trust that God knows what he's doing. But in the struggle, there is real hope, and it's possible to be rooted and ready to weather the storm. Welcome to the Bluestem Project Podcast. We're so glad you're here. Hello, and welcome to the Bluestem Project Podcast. The Bluestem Project exists to equip and encourage you in the suffering, hardships, and trials of life that come with health issues and disability. We do this by helping root you in Christ and giving you the tools you need to be ready for life's greatest obstacles. In this episode, we are going to talk about preparing for the death of a child. Previously, Brandon talked about preparing your heart for the death of someone close to you and about preparing your people or family and friends, let's say, for the impending death of a loved one. And so it is good to be back in the saddle with my wife. It is great. Uh, But we are also talking about a very heavy subject. Yeah. And even earlier today, as we were preparing, we got the news that some good friends of ours lost a child in their sleep in the last couple nights. Yeah. Um, An older child in his early 30s, uh, but devastating and painful nonetheless. And so... We have had some experience processing the potential loss of a child, uh, but for us it hasn't ended in death quite yet. Yeah, actually in recent months we have experienced a sudden instability, let's say, or decline in our son's health, which has been a wake-up call to us as his parents. From the beginning of his life, before he was born even, we've been aware of the likely reality that we will outlive our son Beckett. And we'd be in a position also to have to make hard decisions pertaining to those details of his death. And while his journey has been a roller coaster and we have faced turbulent seasons in the past with him, this most recent instability has been what I would describe as feeling like death was knocking at the doorstep. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. So while we're now back in a season of stability, because he is a roller coaster, <laughs> we have walked many weeks navigating in, in more depth and detail what it means to prepare for the death of a child and preparing for the death of a child is beyond daunting. It's Mm -hmm. incredibly hard, Mm -hmm. unbelievably uncomfortable. And we don't want to pretend that we have all the answers. In fact, we share what we've experienced from a vantage point of not yet having lost a child. So there's that, (laughs) but we have learned some things along the way and we're eager to share. Yeah. I think of the example perhaps of, running a marathon it's very hard it's very brutal i've actually just even learned more in the last week that there are people who do ultra marathons like 100 miles Mm. or 50 miles or 200 miles Mm. and hearing some of the descriptions of what that is like it's incredibly painful and hard to even i think for me to fathom right you know i ran 19 miles once but never 100 uh but i think training makes it more bearable yeah and so we don't want to state that this is not going to be painful or that there are quick and easy steps to just make it okay. And and I don't think anyone would believe us for half a second if we tried to Mm -hmm. suggest that. (laughs) Right. But I do think there are things we can do to make it more bearable. And Mm -hmm. so we want to walk through a few of those. Mm -hmm. So let's start with this first. And I think this is huge to understand and to realize that God himself 
had an only son die. Yeah. And so that, he, he, in other words, he understands what it's like to lose a son. And he mm. understands it from experience. Not mm. just that he knows everything, which he does, mm-hmm. but he knows from experience. And I want to read to you the story of God's own son dying. You can find this in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. But I want to read from Mark chapter 15, 24 to 32. It says this, And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right, one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, but he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And so God knows and witnessed and experienced the loss of his only son uh, die, but also in the most awful of fashions. Yeah, this passage has depth and magnitude that is beyond comprehension in and of itself. And then when you think about it through the lens of the relatability of God the Father to any parent that will lose a child it really is remarkable and mind-blowing as parents our responsibility is to guide nurture and protect our children yet the father in his omniscience allows and instructs his son to die he's the only human who's ever lived that doesn't deserve death yet died and it's because of the intention that i think john 3 16 sums up perfectly for god so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life yeah, I think what what parent would willfully give up the life of their child? I think if someone right. asked me to do that, I would be like, are you out of your mind? Mm-hmm. It is remarkable. There's no way. And yet God not only knows experientially what it's like to see his son die, he did so willingly for our, our good mm-hmm. and our potential Betterment. salvation. Mm-hmm. And so he... Let me just highlight this. Like he, the father knows the pain of separation mm. from the from his son, because Jesus cried out. He said, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" This eternal bond and relationship that existed in perfect love and community and joy for all of eternity past was broken, mm-hmm. and for a time, and Jesus understood and felt it intimately, and so. God knows. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, let me ask you, cute wife, like, how does that land on you? Knowing, you know, maybe just <laughs> emotionally and yeah. mentally, knowing that God knows the pain of, of having a son die. Yeah, that it brings so much comfort. It's a good question 
but yes, it definitely brings comfort, monumental comfort, actually. Uh, a little window into the soul of this Amy Smith is that I have a deep desire to be known and understood. And I don't know about you, babe, but among women, there's a phrase that you sometimes will hear people use among in like friend groups that if someone kind of understands something that you're saying, they'll say, you just get it. You get it. And it's this underlying, it's three words, but there's a lot going on there in that phrase, meaning like, you understand me, I'm known, and I, and you feel safe. And I just realized like, I have found safety in the Lord over the years, like no one else, because he gets it. He, he knows my feelings and understands, and in the context of a loss of a child, I realize he will be able to sympathize with me in that. So when I bear my soul of all sorts of emotions, and those that I anticipate that I'll experience when walking through the valley of the death of a child, I know he knows and is safe for me to bring all of that to him because he knows, because he gets it. What about you? Yeah, that certainly makes sense to hear. That's a very feminine feminine (laughs) response and way of of picturing it. And Mm -hmm. I don't want to totally make a, you know, hard black and white dividing line between how men and women respond, but there are some maybe unique differences. And for me, maybe personally as Brandon, it helps me kind of answer the question, is God both good and sovereignly in control at the same time? Mm -hmm. Because while just about every human being in almost probably almost every situation, right, would we would intervene and stop the death of our child if we could. Yeah. But here God doesn't stop. So he's totally in control and he's also good. Mm-hmm. And yet he willingly goes through with the death of his son mm-hmm. and does so on a personal level, like for my salvation, for your salvation, for any of you who are listening, your salvation, if you would only turn to him in repentance and faith. And so while I can acknowledge that, yes, God could stop the death of our son Beckett when it does come, and when we say it's likely that he'll pass away or that we'll outlive him, we're talking, I mean, 99.9999%. It really is our our reality, I could sit there and acknowledge, yeah, God is powerful enough and he really could reorchestrate or change things so that I would not have to go through this. Mm-hmm. But when it in all likelihood does happen, I can also, instead of rather saying, well, is he good in the moment? Say, you know what? He endured willingly the death of his own yeah. son for me. And that helps me to trust him in the midst of my, you know, what I expect will be great grief and emotional trauma and mm-hmm. and pain. Yeah, it's interesting when you pose that question. How both of us, in our own, in our own right, in our own minds, it surfaces truth about God, and that's what kind of brings comfort to us is mm-hmm. the truth about Him. And as we've touched on throughout various episodes, so much of how we handle and endure these hardships in life 
is dependent on the work done before the storm comes, which is mm -hmm. why we can't emphasize it enough. It, it leads us to the next way we would say to prepare for the death of a child is to know God. And once you think you know him, keep getting to know him. <laughs> yeah. uh, the Bible instructs us actually to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I think it's easier, even easiest for us to love the Lord with our affections, that emotional response that can spring from our heart, oftentimes from an experiential situation. But to love the Lord with your mind takes work, time, and discipline. Mm -hmm. It takes studying his word more than anything. And I guess I see it kind of like when you find a song that you love, and I know you've been known to listen to songs dozens of times when you love a song, so you understand. Yeah. I have an addictive personality, so. Yeah. <laughs> but, but when you become obsessed with the song, you listen to it on repeat, and the lyrics suddenly become stuck in your mind. It becomes an anthem in your mind dwelling on, or it, your mind just dwells on it when we least expect it or even without trying. And I think that's the way to know if my mind is saturated in knowing God. I can ask myself the question, you know, does my mind wander to a verse or a passage or truth of the character of God? Yeah, throughout the day. That's good. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's a really good litmus test is like when I have a spare moment or I'm driving or my mind has the chance to, you know, get off of whatever I'm working on or doing, what do I think about? Mm -hmm. And do I think about something accurate or true about who God mm -hmm. is in his person? And that's going to make a world of difference. I remember yeah. a friend of mine who is in his 70s and is a pretty famous minister, spoken in dozens of countries around the world, but he was talking about officiating a wedding for, I think it was one of his uh, children, perhaps even grandchildren, but one of the mm. family members present at the rehearsal was a like a four or five-year-old, mm. and they were finishing up the rehearsal and my friend just kind of said, okay, is there anything else that someone wants to say? And this four or five-year-old kind of starts starts in on what he thinks he wants to say. And now the context is a wedding, but he just kind of starts going off on what initially seems like a tangent that, right, a four or five-year-old might <laughs> might do. And, he, and he, he says, you know, well, you know, you guys, like the, the squirrel, the, the, the squirrel, he, he stores up nuts. Uh, for when he needs them later. And it's like that with the word of God. Like mm. we need to like store it up in our hearts and our minds so that later when we need it, it's there. <laughs> and my friend told of just like the dead silence and the stunned eyes and hearts and minds like, oh my gosh, this, this little one amongst us just said one of the most profound, profound. and important <laughs> And spirit-led yeah. statements that I've ever heard. Right. And we were initially, you know, he said we were initially just dismissing him as a little kid going on a, yep. a on a tangential <laughs> rant. Uh, yeah. And so I appreciate, yeah, what you said there, cute wife, about the importance of knowing God, focusing our, our eyes, our minds, our hearts upon him. Hmm. So and we're ready. So it's there. Yeah, so that we're, we're ready in the, in the day of need. Mm-hmm. And so, so yeah, just for a brief recap, the, the two things we have just said is that it is very helpful for us to understand and meditate on the reality that God has had a child die, and so he knows, mm -hmm. not just in the way that he knows everything, which he does, but he knows experientially mm -hmm. what we might be going through in the death of a child. But also, as my cute wife just 
mentioned uh, that knowing God himself helps us immeasurably in our times of need. And that takes, as you said, a degree of intentionality to focus our minds on the word of God and what he has said about himself. And this brings us to the the third point that we want to make in preparing for the death of a child is spending some time learning more about or meditating on what happens after death, Mm. the afterlife, and thinking about heaven. And there are some, there have been in the last couple decades some great resources Mm -hmm. that have come out, especially the book Heaven by Randy Alcorn, Mm -hmm. which really is phenomenal. We would both highly recommend it. They also have Heaven for Kids. Which we would also totally recommend. Used with our oldest to help you know him understand and process these sometimes complex Mm -hmm. realities. Mm -hmm. But think about this, maybe just a few points about heaven. Obviously we're saying it exists, Mm -hmm. but it's also a physical place. And heaven is a physical place where we have physical bodies. So we're not disembodied spirits on the clouds playing harps, which just about anybody would say, well, that sounds depressing. And I'd go, yeah. (laughs) Well, it's not like that. It's a place of reunion and reuniting. And so we will be reunited with those who died before us, who knew the Lord Jesus by repentance and faith and his salvation from his finished work on the cross. And while it's, it is great and important and hopeful to think about being reunited with loved ones, ultimately what makes heaven heaven is that we're with God. Yeah. And we have perfect fellowship with him. And in that place of perfect fellowship with him, there's no pain. There's no suffering anymore. I think of, you know, 2 Corinthians four seventeen comes to mind. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And that verse is not stating or diminishing the hardships now. It's not, mm-hmm. oh, you know, mm-hmm. kind of what you're going through is really not that bad. Well, in the context of what we're talking about, the death of a child, it really is it's that bad. bad. It really is yeah. incredibly painful. So what is being stated here is that even in how painful and excruciating and and long it's going to take to grieve, and it's never really going to go away from what mm-hmm. I've heard with the mm-hmm. child, like how long it's, that grief is going to be, that take that sum of all that pain and compared to what we will experience with the Lord mm-hmm. in heaven, it will make that seem small later on. And I, I understand that right now, walking through the death of, you know, a child is going to feel overwhelmingly excruciating right. for the most part. Yeah. Later when we see perfectly and in light of eternity with God perfectly in heaven, it's going to, we'll be able to agree wholeheartedly with Second Corinthians 4.17 that yeah. it was light and momentary. So let, let me just ask you this, cute wife, um, because we both had a little bit of discussion with Brody, and you know he was eight slash nine mm-hmm. at the time uh, about heaven and where Beckett would be mm-hmm. if he passed away. What were some of the things that you shared with him? 
Yeah. Well, I think even again, before this most recent season that we had with Beckett, that was seeming to be a quick decline that was leading towards death. We had already been having lots of conversations with Brody about this reality and heaven. So mm-hmm. some of that was already laid with him, but I guess we kind of like, we kind of took it to another level of intentionality because yes. it was brought to our attention, like, hey, this is probably sooner than later. Yes, and it seemed more they were imminent, wrong, mm-hmm. but uh, it was a good warning. Yeah. Yes, well, and we thought that too because his reality just has changed. But yes, I guess just like when you know you're preparing for, let's say, a family trip. You might show pictures and talk excitedly about where you're headed so that your children can picture and anticipate what's coming. So we've kind of done the same, I guess, with Brody, and maybe someday we will with Beckett's younger brother. But between the Bible and the book you already referenced of heaven, we talk about heaven a lot in our family. Yes, we do. And not always when things are impending. Uh, We just do it often in hopes to lay the groundwork before the sting of death hits. So... Many evenings when tucking Brody into bed, we dream together. We, He and I will talk about what we're excited to do with Beckett or what we're excited to eat with Beckett. Uh, we laugh about how Beckett might be faster than Brody or jump higher than him. I kind of hope that's true. <laughs> that would be that <laughs> A would little be sibling rivalry in heaven. <laughs> yeah. But we also talk about how Beckett will no longer need help breathing. He won't be in pain or limited in the physical ways he is now because his body will be made new. At one point, I remember asking Brody if talking about Beckett dying and going to heaven was too hard. And without a flinch, he said, yes, because I might be jealous he gets to go there before me. And in that moment, I realized as unnatural as death is, it's so deeply spiritual and doesn't need to be as ambiguous, foreign, or scary. And the more we talk about death and life after death, I think the better. Yeah. I like what you said. Like it, it doesn't need to be made totally ambiguous or foreign and scary. And I think one of the misconceptions that people have is that because there is rightfully a lot we can't understand about right. heaven, that therefore mm-hmm. we can't understand much at all. Right. But like but, when I said before, like we know like heaven's a physical place. Mm-hmm. We'll have physical bodies. Mm-hmm. Jesus was resurrected with a physical body. We're told we will have a physical body like his. He exists mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. with a physical body. We understand what paradise was in the Garden of Eden. Right. Here's this physical place with physical bodies. There's beautiful fruit. Right. You eat, you do things. And so I think it's, and Randy Alcorn says this in the book Heaven, but he encourages us, us to dream or use our imaginations yeah. So we might not know everything, mm-hmm. but we, we can use our imaginations to say, yeah, we'll run and jump. And, you mm-hmm. know, we play sports now mm-hmm. and we and you we'll know, throw a football around. So yep. there are things like that that we will do in heaven. Mm-hmm. And so using our imaginations with our oldest son to say, yeah, here are some of the things we'll do yeah. together as a family. And then also to make sure we point all, all that all that joyful reality is only because of God, and that mm-hmm. ultimately the greatest joy is being with God. Heaven yeah. isn't if if God wasn't there, heaven would Wouldn't, stink. Yeah, right. So it's not just that we get to do stuff and be pain free. It's a package deal, and God is the author of it, mm-hmm. and we'll see Him clearly in the midst of it. And I think 
you know, I want to mention this or we want to mention this. Talking about heaven or the afterlife, it really does kind of raise or begs the question, I guess. Mm -hmm. How do you get there? Yeah. It's perhaps popular to say everybody goes to heaven. Mm -hmm. Well, everybody goes to heaven who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the payment for their sins and for salvation. And I was thinking about this recently. I had heard the 80s song, uh, Heaven on Earth. And, uh, oh, dear. Well, <laughs> bear with me. For a second, right? <laughs> there, there were one of the main lines, I think it's probably in the chorus, but I was like, okay, there's, they're on to something, but it's not totally accurate. But it says this, like, ooh, baby, do you know what that's worth? Ooh, heaven is a place on earth. They say in heaven, love comes first. We'll make heaven a place on earth. Mm-hmm. I thought, okay, there's maybe a couple corrections to that. One, <laughs> heaven was a place on earth mm-hmm. and will be a place on earth in the future, but it's not right now. Mm-hmm. And second, the statement, we'll make heaven a place on earth. Well, it's not correct because human beings don't have the ability to do that. Someone will make heaven a place on earth, but that someone mm-hmm. is God. Mm-hmm. And so if we we long for even... You know, I don't even know who wrote or sang the song, honestly. I couldn't even tell you. Um, but it's in the hearts and minds of people. Yeah. And we desire heaven. And like I said, it begs the question, well, how do I get there? And Jesus said something pretty unique in John 10. He talks about being the door. Let me just read a few verses for you. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Right? So Jesus is the door. He's the way in. But then he says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Mm -hmm. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So Jesus makes a way to heaven. He's the door. And he does so by what he stated here in John 10, laying down his life for the sheep. Well, right? Why does he have to lay down his life? Because God is perfectly just and we're sinful. And there's a penalty or a payment for sin that has to be made. Like the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That's what we earn for our sins. So someone is going to have to die for sins. Mm-hmm. And Jesus has given the offer of his death to be your substitutionary death for sin. And what that requires then is a a response of repentance and faith. And here's what I mean by these two words. I think it's helpful to explain them. Hmm. Uh, One theologian stated it like this, that repentance is a heartfelt sorrow for sin, a renouncing of it, and a sincere commitment to forsake it and walk in obedience to God. So repentance is turning from something, sin, a way of life, a sinful one, towards God and his way of life. I think Acts 3.19 really, in kind of one verse, encapsulates this well, where it says, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So repentance is turning from something towards someone. Faith is is placing your trust in someone and what he's done 
and I would say faith involves three parts, right? It involves knowledge or awareness of the facts of the gospel. Mm. Facts like God created this world. Mm. Mankind has sinned and been separated. God sent his son into the world who then lived a perfect life, died a substitutionary death for sin, rose again from the grave. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, so there's knowledge or awareness of these facts, and there are, are many more. We can go a lot deeper throughout Scripture to find, sure. you know, a, a deeper level of understanding. But there's basic knowledge or awareness of the facts. But then second, the second part of faith is agreement. It's belief that these facts are true. Yeah. So you, you literally have to go, you know what? He did die. This die really, or this death really was for sins. He really did rise again. Mm-hmm. He really is the only way. Yeah. So there's agreement. But lastly, there's trust or faith, which is, I would say, a, like a personal confidence in Jesus and his death and resurrection. You know, and often when I think about saving faith, the verse that comes to mind for me, and probably for many Christians throughout history and throughout the world, would be Ephesians 2, 8, 9, where it says, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so good to have our mind engaged and be prepared, like our hearts prepared for this reality and knowing about heaven, what it means to actually know and have confidence that we will spend eternity in heaven. But you might also be wondering what else, what about the practical side of preparing for the death of a child? If you're anything like me, you might crave being able to picture more details or the freedom to let your mind go there. Yeah. That's a, that's a big point. Yeah. Uh, Being, it's hard to acknowledge, like, you know, I might actually have to think about yeah, very seriously that my child or grandchild or mm-hmm. my friend's child is actually going to die. Right. Whether it's denial or just it's uncomfortable, you don't really want to go there. <laughs> yeah, it can seem like a denial of positive thinking. We should yeah. all just think positively so we shouldn't think about right. that the child might die. And yet, so yeah, maybe, that's not always true. Yeah. Um, maybe you want to know things that feel uncomfortable and you're wondering about but you don't know where to turn. So I think we would really want you to know that you're not alone. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. So here are some of the practically speaking type things that we, we've we kind of thought, oh, maybe if we would have known about this sooner, or someone could have told us about sooner, or this has been helpful for us, maybe it'll be helpful for yeah. you. Yep. We would say creating an advanced directive for your child. So re- like really going there, mentally thinking through to have a more clear plan that encapsulates your hopes and wishes for those final moments, days, weeks, months, whatever time span that might be. Exploring things like palliative care and hospice may be resources that you look into. And we will... Maybe explain that in advance directive a little more depth. Like it's a very official kind of phrase or term Yes, that has a, a meaning. Yeah. yeah, so in the medical world, it's of a more formal written document that clearly explains, I would say generalized medical decisions. 
yeah it, how you want this to go yeah it doesn't it doesn't cover everything and as we even learned too there's a difference between a specific advanced directive and something called a pulsed and i know we'll probably hit on more of those specifics in our next episode as we talk about end of life decisions but i think being aware of the magnitude of decisions is there's wisdom in that because as we've learned with Beckett's life, these decisions are more complex than simply checking a, what you might hear as a DNR, which is do not resuscitate on a medical form. So that would definitely be the more practical, um, that there's, there are more decisions to be made than just simple ones. And so allowing yourself to go there mentally and try and picture what you would want some of that to look like is a, there's wisdom in that for sure. Yeah. And the part of the reason I asked you to explain what advanced directive was, is I don't think I really knew yeah. until recently, like what that phrase even meant. Right. And, and you were probably more aware of some of these terms than I was. Yeah. But just to second what you're saying, man, it is helpful. Mm-hmm. It's painful, but it's helpful to mm-hmm. think about a lot of these things ahead of time mm-hmm. so that in the midst of the you. fire, you don't have near as many decisions to make. Mm-hmm. It can lower the complexity. Mm-hmm. It can take some stress. Yeah. Instead of going, what are we going to do? Right. When a situation happens, you kind of know this is what we've decided to do. Yeah. And yeah. it can make it easier to actually follow through with what yeah. you've decided. Even some friends of ours that we've now met through different contexts but have have either been hospice nurses or are a part of palliative care having some of these decisions made allows for you to be mentally and emotionally present with the person as they're dying instead of frantically trying to think through these things so it that's a good point it even allows for that which everyone would want everyone would want exactly or even as we've talked about it it's hard to literally quote unquote go there but even trying to picture what those final moments could because we don't know for sure but what they could look like for our son and deciding we want him home we want yeah. we want it to not be chaotic and so when you as know much your as hopes we could control exactly maybe, there's but. so much we know we can't control but to the best of our ability making some of these decisions will help or hopefully help enable that to be true and allowing yourself to to dream about honestly what your ideal last few days, moments, or who knows what it would look like for your loved one, your child, it then can help you actually make plans to have that be possible to the best of your ability. Yeah. Certainly there are things beyond our yeah. abilities and any and different situations that maybe won't allow exactly your it's, ideal to come to fruition. Exactly. But like we said, like, you know, it would be so much nicer. Again, this is dreaming a little bit perhaps, but yeah. you can make it a reality to some degrees in some situations. It would be nice if when Beckett does pass on to be with the Lord, it could be at home. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so we had already thought thought through that. If it's inevitable and it looks like the writing's on the wall and he's mm-hmm. going to go, okay, well, let's try and keep him at home right? versus kind of the sterile and personal right. environment of the hospital. Even though we're familiar with them and, and that yeah, space, yeah. <laughs> it still is not home. But that was part of our mm-hmm. advanced directive. Mm-hmm. Now, if it seemed like going to the hospital really had a the potential of prolonging his life, well, yeah, then we're going to do that. Right. 
But if it's like, oh, there's really not much we can do. Let's be okay, home and keep uncomfortable. Let's, yeah, let's be home. That's probably best for him. Yep. Best for us. Yep. It's best for family being able to visit. Right. So. I guess I would maybe equate, if we want to find language that's a little more easy to comprehend, I would say like end of life decisions, um, advanced directive, pulse, some of that language again, we'll delve into a little bit more in a future episode, but it's almost like a birth plan when you're having a baby. You can you can sure. have pretty good idea of what you're hoping for, but mm-hmm. you go in knowing like you don't really know what it's going to be like or how it's going to go. So yep. it helps, but isn't a concrete thing. Yep. Another, another area of kind of going there that, and I'll be honest, this felt the most jarring to me, but was super helpful was visiting a funeral home and meeting with a funeral director meeting with a friend who is a mortician and it it even saying the words now it feels hard to say it but it was so helpful yeah it It felt so wrong to be thinking about those details of literally casket or even details within a funeral especially while beckett hasn't yet passed but in the words of a friend who is is a mortician it is wise and incredibly helpful to make some of these decisions when you're not in a time where it's crunched and while you're processing the actual grief of the loss at that time. And I don't know, babe, do you, do you remember it was said to us, the number of decisions loved ones have to make in the days between death and funeral. Do you remember that number? I think it's like 40 or 50 decisions need to be made in like 48 hours. Yeah, it's crazy. After someone has passed. Big, and, and big decisions. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a range. There's some real huge ones to some smaller ones. And so if you can have some of those figured out ahead of time right it's very helpful and that's what we were advised mm-hmm. to do and we really did take the recommendations of medical professionals we weren't trying right. to, we weren't trying to either be in denial or jump the gun right you know but saying like help us think soberly what's going on right i mean they encouraged us to pick out a casket so like technically we have a kid's casket <laughs> Right. That's kind of crazy to think about. Yeah. And I think, like you said, I mean, going to the funeral home to talk with someone, that was one of the worst days yeah. ever. Yeah. We cried a lot together. It was yeah. miserable. And yeah. it was hard to say, let's go do this. But it, I, I can look back now and say it was very, I'm glad we did. Right. And I'm even, I'm glad we did and it didn't even end up that our son's passed yet, right? right? Yeah. And I, and I understand there are a lot of situations where the amount of time between finding out a child might die and that child's death is limiting. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely believe God will give you grace in the meantime to handle what needs to be yeah. handled. But there is wisdom, as you said, doing things like visiting the funeral home. Yeah. Yeah. Another another way that we've seen be helpful is as we prepare is inviting others in. And this there's varying kind of maybe a circle of people that you could think to invite in and as you're processing, preparing, grieving on the front end. But we kind of thought through and realized friends, inviting friends in to grieve with you, but also to we recognized that we will be grieving, 
but we also have right now another child we know will grieve and and very be very aware of the loss of his brother mm-hmm. and so even and this it was it felt awkward to me but i actually reached out to some of the moms of our oldest son's friends literally inviting them in and saying will you please be aware of Brody, you know his behavior. So if you see something out of character, if you think it's related to the stress and who knows what's going on, like, please ask him questions. Please care for him in ways that I might miss as his mom. Mm -hmm. And that it's, it is, it's uncomfortable. It's kind of weird. It's unnatural, but it, there was a lot of freedom. And I received a lot of encouragement from those fellow friends too, that, yeah, it was, beneficial to be brought in in that way so inviting friends in in all kind of gamut or the spectrum that that can be think of pastors or counselors like really helping shepherd your heart and point you to the lord in gentle ways as as you prepare but another and this may not be true for everyone but if you have trusted medical experts and if you happen to know if they have a relationship with the Lord too and seeking their counsel as you navigate decisions can be really helpful too. I think of a friend of ours that has been with us throughout Beckett's whole journey and she has become a voice of reason as we think through, like even as Beckett was declining and sharing with her where he was at, she was acknowledging like, yes, this is not a good situation you're finding yourself in so speaking into some of the medical stuff but also helping process things in our hearts as well can be significant yeah we again we do hope that some of this has been helpful uh like running again to use the analogy like running a a marathon or an ultra marathon Mm -hmm. it's painful it's excruciating and we don't want to try to minimize that in the least but there are things that will help and so we hope that some of the things we have shared would be helpful to you and we also yeah we want to thank you for listening to this episode of the blue stem project Mm -hmm. it has been a pleasure having you and we want to remind you that the blue stem project exists to equip and encourage you in the suffering hardships and trials of life that come with health issues and disability we do this by helping root you in christ and by giving you the tools you need to be ready for life's greatest obstacles And it would be an honor to take this journey with you. Please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend or family member experiencing health issues and medical disability about the Blue Sun Project. Mm